you are tuned in to the Paris Passages podcast. Thank you so much for letting my show be a part of your podcast library. Now here is your hostess with the most mess, Samantha Parrish. Hello and welcome back to the show where your hostess with the most mess tries to ramble her way to entertain and educate. If you are new to the Paris Passages podcast show, thank you so much for choosing this show to be a part of your podcast library. If you are a returning member, thank you so much for coming back. It makes me very happy and very humbled that my work as a podcaster is continuing to prosper and grow. And as much as it is a lot of hard work to get these episodes done and to have to record in a closet where I literally put the pod and podcast and do this episode from a very tiny and comfortable stool and trying to use a filing cabinet as a desk that all this hard work I'm doing is doing something. And I very much appreciate that. As much as I had to repetitively say that, I can't emphasize it enough to always be grateful. And I'm so very grateful. So thank you. I hope that everyone has been staying cool in the hot summer. The heat in summer really feels like you're getting hit with like Satan's sauna towel, as I would put it. And I can definitely assure that very weird explanation to sum up the summer by comparing it to a towel of Satan is that's what it feels like in Virginia. Even in this tiny little recording studio, it doesn't get a lot of AC in here. So I feel like it's my own personal sauna in here. So in a way, I have my own way of getting hit with Satan's sauna towel without having to go outside. But since I'm inside, I have a show to do. It is my job as a podcaster to entertain and educate, as well as getting to share these little snippets of knowledge that you may have not known before about a certain criteria of creation or movies or writing or media. You never know what you're going to get on the show. So I have to provide whatever it is that you're going to be getting. So you never know what you're in for, but I do know what you're in for, and that is a good time. And that is what is going to be great about these episodes that I have coming up. So I'm going to reel the show back in from that rambling to get on with the episode. As the title suggests, it is going to be about how to create a villain. If you are listening to this episode to want to know how to write a villain and you've been struggling to create them like I've had to, and believe me, I'm going to get into that later on, then you're in the right place, diving into a lot of material about how these characters are created. If you're listening to this episode because you just like villains and you just want to know more about them, you're also in the right place. Both parties win because this is a show for everyone. Everyone gets to be included. I have covered everything in this episode so that way there is something to gain because that's what it comes down to for education is that there is always something to take away. Here is what you're going to be gaining from this episode. This episode is going to be covering how to write a villain. It's going to be covering the dissecting of the term villain and really breaking down the definition than from what we just know it as offhand. And there's also going to be a couple of character references to further analyze and dissect these villains. We're going to be covering a lot of ground on these villains today. And I can assure you that this is going to be an episode that will be thoroughly enjoyed. It's an episode that's going to brighten up the dark side of writing. So now that we've gotten that out of the way for the introduction... It's showtime. Let's get on with the episode. So to begin this episode, we got to talk about the question. I feel like with most things in creation, after becoming a writer, 
myself, you really have to think about the whole term in a different perspective than what you originally were taught as and ask the question to yourself. So here comes the question. What is a villain? And the first thing comes to mind is, well, it's a bad guy. It's a foil to the hero. It's the person that has to be brought down. That is really the way it's always been taught. It's the way that we perceive this in the stories that we read, the movies we watch, the TV shows that we dive into and watch a million times. But here's my definition. You can agree with this if you want to or not, but the villain is the one that really drives the story. Even though that we root and rave and thrive for the hero, the villain is the one that makes it hard to root for the hero when they are presented in such a way of sophistication, intellect, tragedy. When a villain is written so well, it makes you recount and rethink who you're supposed to be rooting for in the story when this villain makes such prominent ideas. And for me, I love a villain that makes sense. I love a villain that actually made me rethink who I'm supposed to root for. As much as it is terrible to say it, because even you, my listener, will probably agree with me that the villain is way more interesting than the hero. And they have these interesting backstories or interesting ways about them. Because there's someone that we've never really seen before that makes decisions that we wouldn't normally do. And to see someone go so far because of their own pride or passion and having their own reality set into what they have to do against of what the hero is trying to stop them from doing, it's a very intriguing thing. And I want to dive into this next part of the definition by saying the different types of villains. There are some villains that are very prideful and don't see anything wrong in their actions. There are some villains that do see the wrong in their actions and accept the consequences or their lack of humanity. So they are set in their reality of what they want to do for their ambitions, but they're not naive. There are some villains that are just naive or they're so psychologically out of it. It does make it tragic in some of these villains that don't see their own downfall because they are blinded by their own ambitions and their own lack of humanity was the price to pay. Some are so set and structured in their reality, whether they have a motive or they just do it without a motive. And keep in mind about that point later on. There are some villains that are stitched into stories and they are stemmed from what real people did. I'm going to make a quick little tiny reference that I discovered a couple weeks ago. I was watching a documentary about Ted Kaczynski, which in history we know him as the Unabomber. And Ted Kaczynski was essentially the inspiration for the villain in Mission Impossible Fallout. There are numerous people that end up becoming an inadvertent inspiration to make a villain. Whether it is their looks, or what they did, or what they said. There are some immaculate villains that make sense of their own motives. Some that have such complex emotions that it makes it very difficult to... Remember, you're not supposed to root for the villain, but what they're doing makes it so tragic that when they don't get what they want, you actually feel bad for them in the end. Because they weren't a heartless character, but their heart was in the wrong place. There are some villains that are suspicious and sophisticated, devious and dangerous. 
sometimes relatable in a way that makes us forget that they are a villain when they justify their unjustified actions. So in that whole explanation and ramblings and repetition, a villain has to make sense. No matter how they are portrayed, no matter how they are created, bottom line, they have to make sense for what they do. There are some villains that don't really have to be diabolical. They don't have to kill people. There are some villains that have their own way and process, and it makes it very different to see a villain and what their route is to what led them to their decisions. So the next part that I want to talk about is the creation of a villain. And this is going to be a two-parter, as I'm going to be talking about some types of villains that can be created. And there's also going to be a little list of movies that I'm going to talk about, not too extensively because we have to get back on point. As much as I am a movie buff, I got to keep it short and simple and just give you the, the bare necessities about each character reference that I'm going to be using for the analyzing process of the creation of these villains. So let's go on to the first part of that. The creation of a villain is something imperative. It can't just be, for my opinion, they don't want money and power. Well, everyone wants power, and a lot of people do want money in life, but that's not really a strong enough motive. It should be, why do they want money and power? What happened to them? Is it going to be like some kind of reverse Robin Hood process? When I created my villains for my book, Inglorious Inc., I had a wonderful time making them scuzzy, but I had a hard time making sure that they weren't stale. Sometimes shock value can work when you see someone do something unspeakable and diabolical and shameless. But there has to be a reason behind the shock value. In my characters of Inglorious Inc., I made them do ungodly things for what they did, but it had to make sense as to why they did this. And there is an easier way to create a villain. And it isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be when I did create my villains for Inglorious Inc., and I really had to look at the analysis behind some of the villains that I watched and this is where the second part of this section comes in, which is analyzing various movie villains. When I saw the way that these characters were created, it became an inadvertent blueprint for me to know how to create my villains in general. And it really made me look about the idea of a motive for a villain in many ways. And this is the list. Now, some of these characters you might find familiar, and you're going to look at them differently. And some of these characters you may have never known, and you might want to go purchase this movie afterwards or go on Netflix and find it, because it is definitely worth watching it after I mention how they were created. So starting off this list, I want to start with the most important one that really has to do with the idea of having a motive by not having a motive. Now, the first character that I'm going to be talking about does deal with having a character that you don't know why they are a villain. And that is Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. Now, if you've never seen No Country for Old Men, it is a very underrated movie from the Coen brothers. Even though this isn't really a movie that personally I don't really care for too much. But I respect the hell out of the way that this character was created. And it is unlike any villain ever created. If you ever look up Anton Chigurh... This character makes a lot of top 10 villain lists, and he's there for a reason, and it's validated. Anton Chigurh's backstory is non-existent. You don't know why he's evil. You don't know why he kills people. You don't know why he is the way he is. 
From the audience perspective, you want to know why they are bad, but you never get those questions answered from the beginning or in the end. All you see are his actions, and with as evil and sinister as the actions that Anton does, it makes you wonder, do you even want the answers in the first place? And it made me think that there are certain movies I've watched where I never got the answer as to why a villain was created. Sometimes there doesn't have to be a backstory for a character. You can leave it shrouded. Then your imagination can basically fill in the rest. He is a character that doesn't mind being evil. You can see it on his face, and that's all you have to know. You see his actions and how calm he is when he smiles. The human qualities are so inhuman because they are altered without compassion or genuine happiness, and that is unnerving. Now, I'll admit that I also applied that formula to my next book. When I created my villains, I amped up the evil and I kept out the truth, making it that it's questioning to want the truth after a vile action that a character has done. So, with the way that I explained it, that is an example that you can have a villain without a backstory. Now, my next example is Maleficent from Sleeping Beauty. Maleficent already had everything. If you look at this Disney villain, she is the only one that didn't really need royalty. She didn't really need money. She didn't really need power. She just wanted the respect. And she cursed a child because she wasn't respected by not being invited to the christening. The kingdom essentially brought this on themselves. All they had to do was like, hey, Maleficent, you want to invite? No problem. You want to come see the baby, get some gifts and stuff? No problem. That's all they had to ask her. She would have had no problems with them at all. She showed no signs of resentment or anything until after it was discovered that she was not invited on purpose. Whew, I mean, if you really think about that... It stings to be told to your face that you're not invited to something and that you were well-respected amongst your peers and only to find that out. It does alter the relationship a bit. So with Maleficent, her relationship to the kingdom and everybody else, that was out of there. This can be applied to the villains because if you look at a lot of villains, they don't like disrespect. They earned their power however they got it. And for someone to come along and disrespect them, foul... Mm. That was a, a false move. Because when you disrespect a powerful person, you're done for. And I feel like it is the most overlooked segment in creating a character for a story. And that's something that I too forget about as well. So apply the idea of a character being disrespected to a character that should not be disrespected. And you have a threat of a villain. My third pick on this list, I will admit it is... A personal reference because it is one of my favorite villains. I was looking at my podcast script and I just couldn't resist putting this one in there because this is a villain that does stem from real life. So this one is Mitch Leary from In the Line of Fire. And if you have never seen that movie, that plays heavily on the decisions of what happens to protect the president. It is a political thriller. I'm just going to have to coin it as that, but it is a very exceptional movie. And the reason why is because of the villain Mitch Leary that is a product of the government and has been destroyed and altered. Most of the dialogue he says when he is yelling to the main character, Frank Horrigan, on the phone 
this character is ex- basically explaining his motives for why he did what he did. And he has to get back at the people that destroyed him and how people came after him. Even though this is a character that is severely altered in his psyche. It's a villain that does play to the commentary of real life. And if that is a villain that you are going for, then you got to get a copy of In the Line of Fire. Because this is going to be your blueprint, essentially, to making a villain that has been destroyed by the people that made him in the first place. I've discussed a villain that didn't have to have a backstory. I've discussed a villain that doesn't like disrespect. And I just discussed a villain that plays to the commentary of real life. So my last character analysis is one that does play into one of the themes of life of certain lessons. My last one is Syndrome from The Incredibles. Now, The Incredibles is one of my personal favorite movies. It's something that I used to watch every Sunday. And Syndrome was the character that I always remembered out of every villain. There were some villains that I had to go back and recount why they were a villain, but I always remembered why Syndrome was a villain because of the lesson that is played about when you meet your heroes. Syndrome is a character that was wronged, and even though it is wrong for what he's doing, but it does make sense because it derives about what happened to him as a child. He was wronged by the person he looked up to the most. All he wanted to do was to be the sidekick to Mr. Incredible, and then to be snubbed off and be told, you know, fly home, buddy, I fly solo. It destroyed him, and it was that moment that he realized that he can't depend upon his hero when they realize the person that they idolize isn't someone to idolize, and that they will destroy their dreams. He constructed that feeling of disappointment into that lesson into a diabolical, destructive idea that has a body count. So those are my four character analysis references to use for writing villain. So I would like to switch gears here into the next section, and I'm going to be talking about my villains that I created for Inglorious Inc. As I mentioned earlier, I had a bit of a hard time making my villains, but I had a very hard time with their characterization. I sprinkled in all of the sinisterness and the diabolical nature and their motives, but I had to make sure that their character would match the motive. It couldn't be out of character or out of place. And most of that had to do with really working on their character to making them an individual and making them to be a believable person. So my four villains for Inglorious Inc., I'm going to be revealing their motives, but I'm going to keep it spoiler-free, so you're going to get a little bit of a snippet about my bad guys of Inglorious Inc. So my first villain is named Mitch McConnell, which is in no way relation or inspired or derived from the real Mitch McConnell that I had no idea existed when I created this character. And my fictional Mitch McConnell, his motive is entirely because of his entitlement and his pride. And as you read on in the book you will definitely see why he thrives after wanting more money, a better life, and everything else that he feels he's entitled to. Which is a pretty basic villain, but you'll find out what really makes him a scuzzy son of a bitch. The next villain on the list is one of my personal favorites to make as much as I hate him. (laughs) And that is Nash Armstrong. A lot of his reasons for the decisions that he made 
is entirely based off of the jealousy. And I won't reveal why he was jealous because, again, I'm not going to be revealing all parts of my book and depriving the chance for you to read my book. Nash is someone who gets jealous very easily, and you will see later on in the book as to why his jealousy drove him to make such diabolical decisions. The next villain on my list is named Carly Dickinson. Carly's reason is entirely based off of desperation. There isn't anything, well, she'll basically do anything it takes to get what she wants. No matter what it takes, she is desperate and has no morality. Whatever it is that she's asked to do, she's just going to do it. So in a way, it would kind of make her like a sidekick villain, but the kind of sidekick that doesn't ask stupid questions and is 100% loyal to anything that is asked. The last villain on my list that I'm going to talk about is a man named Ennis Beckett. I do want to say that Ennis Beckett's name is a play on words, which makes him to be a sidekick character. Ennis Beckett is a played on at his beck and call. And with that play on words, it reveals that he's not really a scary villain. There's nothing harmful about him. And he does stupid stuff and doesn't think things through. He's just one of those characters that exists just to be astonished with how stupid he can be. The best way to compare Ennis is like LeFou, who is Gaston's sidekick from Beauty and the Beast. If you think of LeFou, then that is basically what you're going to get with Ennis. So when you read the book, keep that comparison in mind. And those are my four villains of Inglorious Inc. You'll be reading a lot more about them in the book. And I will be making an episode that is going to be entirely about my villains of Inglorious Inc. There is a whole lot more villains, but I could only give you the four for right now. But believe me, <laughs> that's just the tip of the iceberg of the villains that I made for my series. Oh man, I got a whole bag full of baddies that are just waiting in my future books. So with those villains being mentioned, and everything that I have said, the way of making a villain is a very tricky process now that I have become an author and I have to think about my own villains and I have to make sure that they make sense. And as I have been mentioning about the analysis of the movie characters and really looking at the idea of a villain, which leads to my final point of this episode, is I'm going to be making some homework, which I do occasionally on my episodes. This segment entirely pertains to the ones that listened to this episode because they wanted to learn how to write a villain. Now, this might be something that is automatically known or maybe something that you can keep in mind, but I figured I'd just share it anyway because it's something that I certainly didn't think about when it came to my process for making my villains or looking more into the analysis of villains, is it comes down to the psychology. If you look at a certain psychology book, then there'd be a good way to psychologically define how you want this villain to be and have it thoroughly make sense as to why their decisions came to be as opposed to trying to figure out like an origin story or putting things together. It helps piece everything together very well and makes the process easier if you're trying to figure out why they are the way they are. 
believe me, I have a hard time too when it comes down to the psychology of my villains. I had to go look up a couple terms or two to figure out what came to this and why are they the way they are. There's a lot of homework that really goes into making villains. Earlier in my segments about my movie character analyses, I had mentioned Anton Chigger from No Country for Old Men, and before I did this episode, I happened to read the trivia for the movie and found out that a hundred psychologists were present to make sure that Anton's character was 100% authentic and validated to depict a psychopath on the big screen. So a couple of psychology books goes a long way. Even watching a couple of crime documentaries just to hear the dialogue about real criminals or seeing the analysis from other psychologists about those criminals, any little thing helps in your making of your madmen. So with that conclusion of giving that homework, that concludes this episode about how to make a villain and how to write a villain. I'm not going to lie, this episode was fun and frustrating. I've had to redo this episode several times so I could really give some good information when it comes to episodes that pertains to a certain criteria of creativity with writing. I definitely want to make sure that my homework has been made for this episode. And other than that, I had a good time making this episode. And I hope that my listeners out there really enjoyed this episode. And I have something special planned for the next batch of episodes that will be coming on to the Paris Passages podcast. August is a very important month for many reasons for me, but a major reason, August marks my month when I officially began writing Inglorious Inc. And with August coming up, I decided to make August an entire month that had to do with episodes about my book, Inglorious Inc. And the episodes that I am planning to do will be talking about the characters, because I feel like I didn't really do a good job in the first time I talked about my book, so I want to get a bit of a redo to thoroughly talk about my characters and give a better introduction. I am also going to be doing an episode that pertains to the references that I made within the book, and I can't wait to thoroughly reveal all of the Easter eggs that I left within the book. And then there is also going to be an episode that is happening at the end of the month of August that is going to be a sneak peek about the sequel to Inglorious Inc. Because the second book is just chapters away from being done, and I can't wait for that to be published, and I can't wait to talk about it, so I'm going to go ahead and just give a sneak peek. So that is going to be the plan for the next batch of episodes, and I'm just so excited for it because I love the chances that I get to talk about my book. It makes me so happy to share something that I take so much pride in for all of my hard work. So with that being said, I'm going to be signing off from this episode. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. As always, you stay awesome, my fellow listeners. Take care, stay safe, and I will be back with another episode. Bye-bye now!